Lord, our understanding is indeed limited and weak, and yet you are unlimited and strong. Please, by your spirit, show us more of who you truly are and of your limitless greatness. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, every time I go to the gym, um, I worry very briefly that my honed physique is going to intimidate the other people at the gym. (laughs) I worry much more about how many yards I'll actually manage to run this morning uh, or to cycle, because I know that before very long, my lungs will start um, telling me to stop, my muscles will be aching too much. That's about human limitedness, isn't it? Our bodies are limited in their capacity, Uh, even an athlete, or I think of the death of a loved one, and how it reminds us each time that we are merely human beings, glorious in God's plan, but also limited in our resources, capacities. We can only go so far ourselves in life, we can only help each other to some extent through the different things that limit us. And that's why this truth that God is infinite unlimited is such precious good news for us he is a god without limits he is infinite it's a challenge when the atheist puts all his trust in human capacity forgetting that we are limited it's a challenge to me as a christian when sometimes i put my trust in in someone else or something else or in myself rather than in god the unlimited god so god is infinite that's our big theme this morning he's unlimited This is the first in a new series. It's called None Like Him, this series. Uh, It's about the fear of the Lord, which the Bible says uh, it's not just an irrational shaking terror. It's an honoring, an adoration, a worship of the Lord as the, the most precious, greatest being that there is, that we could give our lives to. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, says the Bible. That's what this is about. Our series, my prayer is that As we learn to fear God as he is more and more, we will adore him in our lives and praise him with our lips. The irony of this series is that as we think about how we can come to know God as he truly is better, actually we're never able to really grasp God. He's God. He's too big. Words can't really describe him. And yet, The Bible does give us words that at least with our limited understanding tell us what he's like. There are some great words, aren't there? God is merciful. God is loving. God is faithful. And there are also words, I think we may be less familiar with some of these, which are ways in which in his character, his being, what the theologians call his perfections, the way he's perfect, He's actually unlike us. There is none like him in these ways. And that's actually good news for us. It releases me from wanting to be like God when I shouldn't. From being infinite when I'm limited. From being all-knowing when I'm actually not. So this series at which we embark on today is going to touch on these nine ways in which God is perfect, but also perfectly not like me. They're long words. Don't worry about them this morning. Um, We will come back to these over these weeks. We will see today that he is infinite. 
Uh, we'll see also he's unchanging, self-sufficient, incomprehensible, eternal. Omnipresent just means he's everywhere. Omniscient just means he knows everything. Omnipotent, that means he's all-powerful and self-existent. We'll come back at the end with that. If you want to think more about this series, because I think we're, we're going to find our minds are blown away by how great God is and what that is for us that he is. This is a lovely book called None Like Him. It's our series title, of course, by Jen Wilkin. Um, it is readable, heartwarming, and it will, I think, just help you to have your mind blown by God's greatness. Those are on the resources table. So let's launch in with this first one today. God is infinite. What do we mean by that? Well, we mean that he is without limit. That's what infinite means, isn't it? No end to him. Uh, And we're going to see that from this reading in Isaiah. So do have that open, Isaiah 40. The background of this reading is that God has just told his people that he is going to, because they've turned away from him, send them off to exile in a place called Babylon. But that won't be the end. The good news of our chapter 40 in Isaiah is that he will bring them back one day. Isaiah is told to comfort God's people in verse 1, to make the way ready for God to come and save them, to rescue them. And we saw in our reading from verse 9, if you've got that in front of you now, verse 9 to 11, that there is good news now. The period of exile would end. God will atone for their sin. Of course, we know that to be in Christ, don't we, as Christians? His glory is coming. His word stands forever. And he, verse 11, is coming as a kingly shepherd to carry his people home. Isaiah is telling us that we are limited, but God is infinite. We are weak and indeed sinful, but God is strong and perfect. And the whole of the rest of the reading, verses 12 to the end, 31, is one long section. Isaiah's arguing, if you like, with us here, persuading us to trust in God. That when God seems to have abandoned us, actually, God is still infinite, God is still great and perfect, there is none like him, and we can trust in him. You'll have noticed, as it's read, probably, that there's a series of questions, aren't there, which each are the introduction to a section of his argument. There are three, really, sections that present who God is to us in the answer, and then a final section where he shows what it's meaning for us, why it's such good news that God is without limit. So the first question is in verse 12. And it's introduced to the first theme, that God is without measure. To say God is infinite is partly to say you can't measure him. He's got no limits, no size. You know, I can go to the gym and measure how many yards I run. We know how far the planets are from us. You know, if the Earth is apparently the size of a pea, then the sun is about 80 yards away from us. We're good at measuring But what does verse 12 say? Who's measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Or with the breadth of his hand marked out the heavens? Who's held the dust of the earth in a basket? Or weighed the mountains on the scales? The answer, of course, is 
Well, none of us have, but God has. Only God has. See the point? You read verse 13. Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord? That means who who can measure how deep God is? Who can instruct the Lord? Who does he turn to for advice? Again, the answer, of course, is, well, no one. None of us can do that. Who can measure God? No one. Where does God turn for advice? Like Boris Johnson does to him. Well, God doesn't need to turn to anyone. Who can advise him? God is beyond measure. God is without measure. He measures everything. Nothing can measure him. The second two sections, the second two questions, they're in verse 18, verse 25, those questions, are about comparison. And they just make the point, similarly, that God is without measure. God is without compare. You can compare nothing to God. Whenever you say God is like fill in the blank, you're falling short. You can't compare him. You see that verse 18? With whom then will you compare God? Verse 25 repeats it and then adds, Who is my equal, says the Holy One? That's the kind of end of all discussion. The answer that those questions expect is, well, no one. No one's like him. Nothing's comparable. Nothing measures him. Nothing compares to him. And Isaiah, in those two sections about comparing God from verse 18, he takes them in two directions. All the time he's reminding us, the Bible's always telling us, that you must not, we must never confuse the creator with his creation. That divide of creator and creation, that's so critical, so important to our understanding. You know, creation, we might fashion art from wood, we might make a sculpture, a worker might make an idol, a carving, but it's just a bit of wood, it's going to fall over one day, says Isaiah. The gods of the pagans may be said to be a bit like a, a bird or a bull, only bigger. But God's not like that, says Isaiah. You can't compare him to an idol. He's not an image or a big version of something that we can imagine. He's far greater. Four questions make the point that we just cannot imagine the creator's greatness. Verse 21, do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was found? You see what he's saying there? He said, it should be obvious to you as a human being, to me as a human being, that the creator's greatness is incomparable. You should know that from the splendor of the world that you see, from the history of human beings, the rise and fall of empires, from the inspired story in the Bible of creation, the God that made the stars and the seas and the skies. You should know this stuff, he says. He is incomparable. He says space bulges like a tent trying to contain God's glorious being. And it can't. The greatest presidents and princes, verse 23, on the earth, you know, whether in our culture that's capitalists or communists or military leaders, colonels. 
None of them, he says, are any more to God than just like seeds that he scatters and plants and one day get blown away. What can compare? What earthly power can compare with the greatness of the creator? Verse 25, he just takes it in another different way, doesn't he? He says, what can compare to God's earthly, uh, to God on earth? What can compare to God? Well, no power above can either. He's beyond compared to anything up there either. He says, doesn't he, in verse 25, lift up your eyes, look to the heavens. Look at the stars, the moon, the sun. He says, who, com- who created all these? It's he who brings out the starry host, the stars at night, who calls them each forth by name. What can compare to him? Now, again, in his culture, to some extent today, astrology, superstition, people have always thought that the stars have have special spiritual power. And Isaiah states the obvious, that the power of God cannot be compared to the power of merely created stars. Far from being agents of spiritual power, they're simply objects he made. They're just things he has given a name to. We call them Orion or Jupiter. Uh, He knows what they're really called because he made them. And they're at his beck and call. What can compare to God? Can anything on the earth? No. Can anything in the skies above? No. God is infinite. And so God... And his greatness, his limitedness, his infinity, that he is without measure, without comparison, God is therefore actually for us both humbling and incredibly good news. That's why in verse 27, where Isaiah begins to show the point, why this is so important for us to grasp, Isaiah comes to the good news. God is the everlasting creator and that is good news for us as well as deeply humbling. Why do you complain is the question that the voice asks in verse 27. Uh, Isaiah says, why are you complaining? Haven't you heard what God is like? You can imagine that people are saying, aren't they, you know, God's, God's abandoned us, we have no hope, where's God gone? The powers of the earth seem so powerful, the powers of the stars. And Isaiah's saying, haven't you heard? He's still the everlasting God, however life may feel to you. He doesn't grow tired or weary. He never tires of upholding the stars, never mind upholding and loving you. He gives strength to those who are weary, to people that are discouraged by setbacks in life. He increases the power of the weak, those that are struggling with difficult circumstances life is throwing at them. Verse 30, even youths grow tired and weary. So even a Mo Farah has his limits. But God's not like that. God's strength goes on and on and on to infinity. His resources are limitless. Those who hope in the Lord, verse 31, will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. Run and not grow weary. Walk and not be faint. 
So this is good news, isn't it? When it says those who hope in the Lord, or those can be translated, those who wait upon the Lord. Because faith, hope in God, it is about waiting. It's about waiting for God to rescue us. Waiting for him to rescue us through the Savior Jesus, whom he's going to send one day. And we've now seen that. We're the other side of Christ's coming. To wait for him to come to answer our prayers, to give us courage in need, and one day to give us resurrection. The eternal hope we have in Christ. So how does he do this? How does he give his strength? How is the everlasting God good news today? Well, he is the everlasting God. I may say, as God's people did then, um, my way is hidden from the Lord. He seems to have forgotten me. And God says, no, haven't you heard? I am the everlasting God. I am the creator of the ends of the earth. Would I forget you? Am I too small to help you? My power is infinite. My love is boundless. And you and I, we may feel individually disappointed with God at times. As a church in this nation, we may feel God has abandoned us, weak. And of course, God may seem absent because we abandon him sometimes. But all that you or I or the church face does not compare to his immeasurable goodness and infinite greatness. The everlasting God. He gives strength to the weary. Some years ago, a friend of mine was involved in a fatal road accident that was not his fault. He survived uh, with crippling injuries to his legs and elsewhere. One of the Bible texts that helped him in his faith, and I think in his recovery, is this one. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. To churches needing fresh strength, here's a precious verse. To you and I as those that perhaps follow Christ, if you've begun to follow him. To those of us feel burdened by guilt or broken by grief. To those fearful of a virus, he says, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. We will run, we will walk and not be weary, not in our resources, but in his. And not only now, but in eternity. His strength in our weakness. Finish though with a challenge. Isaiah does say, doesn't he, in his questions here, do you not know, have you not heard, it could be here this morning, that you have been living your life and you're looking for this God and you've never heard of him before. And Isaiah's saying, well, here he is. This is what he's like. Or it could be that you have been following Christ, but somehow you and I, we slip into that thinking of, I don't really need God, do I? I can do this on my own. I can get through. I can put my life right. I can solve my problems. I put my trust in other resources, a partner, a leader, or even myself. 
Isaiah says, haven't you heard? Don't you know? He is infinite and you are weak. He is the everlasting God and you're just a human being. He's the one before whom the nations are nothing. Idols are foolish. Rulers become nothing. Stars are his handiwork. And when you hear those truths from the Bible this morning, do they say to you, um, that's not a God I want. That's a God that's, that's too powerful, too great. I want a God that's cozy and small. Or do you say, thank you, God, that you're like that. I need you to be great because I am weak. I need you to be strong because I am tired. And if you are finding that picture of God that Isaiah gives us challenging this morning, I urge you, listen to what he's saying to you. Turn away from that feeling of self-reliance. Put all your hope in the everlasting God. Let's pray. I'm going to put the words of a prayer on the screen now and just give you a moment to read through those words, reflecting on the reading. And I'm going to invite you, if you wish to, to join in this prayer in a moment. If you're able to, do you just read it through first. So let's pray. Lord, help me to see the ways in which I forget that you are beyond measure or comparison. I limit your greatness to me. Show me how my limitations can bring you glory. Help my lips and life to praise your infinite greatness and boundless grace. Amen.